Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Amen. I'm going to be preaching today on our series. We've been in the series for a couple weeks, and it's an important question to our faith. If you confess Jesus to be your personal Savior, if you, anybody believe in Jesus in the house today? Anybody believe in him? All right. So if you believe in Jesus, it's important that you understand that everything we do is about knowing who Jesus is. Everything we are as a church is about knowing who Jesus is. So we, we wanted to take a couple weeks and talk about, before our summer at Newbridge series, we wanted to talk about who is Jesus. That's the series we've been on. Um, if you missed any weeks, just go on our website, go to podcasts. Uh, Pastor preaches amazing every single week if you need to catch up. I'm going to jump straight into today. Uh, who is Jesus? Now, it's super easy to, to kind of learn the life uh, of Jesus through the, through the New Testament. Uh, we have the four Gospels, the, four, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're starting today from the book of Matthew, and we're going to bounce around to the book of John. We're trying to figure out who Jesus is. And today I have the honor of speaking about a, a scenario, a, a happening rather, in the New Testament where Jesus gets mad. Jesus, how many of you guys have ever seen the, the movies of Jesus when he, he's like throwing the tables over? Who's ever seen that? I, I'm going to be preaching about that today. And, and here's the thing. I think that sometimes we overlook what's happening. We overlook what Jesus was doing. But today we're going to kind of jump into the context of what was happening. What did the temple mean in those days and see if there's some things that we can learn about Jesus, who he is, and, and what he wants to tell us. Amen? Let's read together in the book of Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Excuse me. Book of Matthew, 21 verse 12. Let's read together. Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So Jesus turns tables and he's kicking chairs over. Like he's walking into the temple and he is furious. And this kind of goes against any movie you've ever seen. I, I've seen literally some movies that they put this scene on, and he's, like, gracefully pushing the tables over. You know, no, Jesus was mad. Like, Jesus was furious. And, and, and he's doing something. It, it, it's really, really, it's a symbol of what he's trying to let the world know. He's doing something in, in, in the most sacred place to the Jewish nation. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but, but you're making it a den of robbers, the blind, the lame. Then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Now, first thing you got to understand about the temple. So Jesus, um, you know, theologians believe that this very action of him flipping tables and kicking chairs over was actually one of the things that led to Jesus' death. Like, it really stirred something up. I mean, you can imagine, Jesus, he's already claiming to be God, and they, they called it blasphemy, right? They, oh, you're not the son of God. Who are you to, to be forgiving people's sins? Who are you to be, to be healing people? Like, they would literally call Jesus a, a blasphemer, if that's how you say it. Uh, he was like, you're, this is blasphemy. The fact that you're, you're, you're stepping into the, the world and you're literally healing people and you're forgiving people. What authority do you have, right? So, so Jesus off the bat, he, he's coming against just kind of what people think is, is, is all right, right? The temple to the Jewish nation, it, it, it was actually the place where their, their sins were forgiven. Now, you got to understand that. In, in our century, and where we are now in the new covenant, if you're a sinner and you've never heard the gospel of Jesus, 
and, and if, if you aren't saved, I hope tonight after the sermon you raise your hand for the first time. Um, but, but if you haven't heard the gospel, once you hear it, you, you're heard, you hear this message of Jesus, right? Hey, he did this for you. This is what he did. And, and what do you do? Out of the conviction in your heart and, and, and out of that, that feeling, wow, you died for me. You loved me, so you did something. You canceled my debt. You made a way for me to get to the Father. And what we do nowadays, we say, Jesus, I accept you in. We make that sinner's prayer, right? I accept you in. I confess that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, answer me, Lord. Write my name in the book of life, right? That's how we get saved. And, and here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus died for you, he died for your sins yesterday. He died for your sins today. And he also paid for your sins tomorrow, right? So we're in this awesome place as a church where we can walk understanding that my past is gone, my past is wiped away, and my future is in Jesus. Only him is my forgiveness brought to me. Only him am I seen pure, and, and that's why I find my purpose in Jesus, right? So we got it all going on, but, but before Jesus, there was, there was something called the old covenant. He, he, he established the new covenant, right? Only through me. Jesus came and he told the world, listen, only through me you can go to heaven. Not many different ways. It is only through me. Only I. If you confess that I'm Lord and Savior, you have a place in heaven. But that's not how it always was. Listen, the old covenant, this is how it was. If you sinned, I mean, it wasn't as easy as, as God can. It's more of like you need to sacrifice an animal to do what? To cover your sin sacrifice an animal to cover your sins. So you got to understand the temple is where all this, all this sacrificing happened. The temple was when people came and, and, and they bought animals or they brought animals and they said, Lord, I'm here. Can you forgive my sins with what I'm doing? And they believed, you know, with the, with the priests in, in the temple and the, and the religious leaders, they would work together to, to, to wipe away or to cover the sins of man. So when, when Jews see the temple, what do they see? You see, we look at Jesus and we see forgiveness. But the people in that time, they didn't see Jesus as forgiveness. They saw the temple as forgiveness. They saw the temple as a place where they could be right with God. What's sad is that some of us still act like that today. As in four walls are going to forgive us. As in a venue with chairs and lights. And if I show up to church every week, maybe I might be forgiven of my sins. If I come to the altar and just do, no, no, no. It's a confession in your heart. It's accepting Jesus. It's the salvation prayer. That's what the new covenant is. It's not the old covenant. It's not the old ways. Can you imagine the place that you come to forgiveness there's some dude flipping tables over. The place that you hold sacred. I mean, you want to be right with God. So you go to the place where you get right with God. Imagine that place with all the tables turned. And all the chairs kicked over. Yeah, Jesus was mad. But he was also sending a message. Not only was the temple a place of forgiveness of sins. You know what the temple also was? A place where the presence of God was. The presence of God wasn't in the old covenant. The presence of God wasn't with man. You know, the Holy Spirit, anybody got the Holy Spirit living inside of them right now? Anybody? We carry the presence of God. We, we carry the Spirit. The temple's in us. But in these times, that's not how it was. The temple was literally the presence of God. So you can imagine, imagine you being a Jew. And you're walking by to go get your sins forgiven. You're walking in the church, in the temple to get, to, to get the presence of God. And once you walk in, there's this whole ruckus going on. And Jesus is doing something really, really big in a place that is very sacred to Jewish people. Sacred place. 
He's doing something. He's sending him. I've heard thousands of messages preached on this verse. But no one ever talks about how, theologically speaking, Jesus is sending a prophetic message. He is sending a message. What he's doing is a symbol. Symbols are important. You walk into, into a party with your ring off. It's just a symbol. No, no, no. That's, that's life right there. That's like lifetime commitment, right? Symbols are always more than how they look. It's just a ring. No, no, no. This is a lifetime commitment. Jesus being a symbol. Don't really look at the actions. What is Jesus trying to say? What is he trying to do? Symbols are important. You see a, a, a caution, caution sign to the symbol of the guy falling. We laugh at that. Until you act. Anybody ever fell in a Publix line? My bad. Walmart. You ever fell and like think, did anybody see me fall? It hurts more when you actually fall. You look at the symbol, you think, wow, okay. <laughs> caution on That thing hurts, right? It's a symbol. Jesus is symbolically doing something. And, and what I want to focus on today, my sermon today, is titled this. Madly in love. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is madly in love with you. He is madly in love. He is so mad that he had to do something to send a message. Let's read verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches. How many of you guys have ever been so mad you felt like, like punching a wall? Anybody? It's like half of us. Let's be real. Can we be real? Can we be real? It's the fourth hole this week, honey. <laughs> I don't know if you've been mad enough to flip a table, though. How mad do you got to be to flip a table? Like, I get mad. I, I, I get mad sometimes, right? I, 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 like to, I like to cope with it a little better than other people. Um, but I've never been fli flipping table mad. Like, flipping table mad is like a whole nother mad. That's like, no, I'm, I'm going to destroy this place. Jesus is flipping tables. If I was a disciple, I'd be like, oh, he's, he's real. This dude is real. He's mad. So mad. And you know what? I'm glad that Jesus was mad. I'm glad that Jesus looked into a place where sins were forgiven, where the presence of God was, and he looked into that area and he said, no, no, no. I am the only way for forgiveness. I'm glad he was mad. You know why I'm glad he was mad? Because what Jesus was doing is a symbol of his mission. What Jesus was doing, flipping the tables, turning the temple upside down, he's literally activating and letting everyone know what he came for. His symbol was a reminder of his mission. Let me prove it to you. The book of Hebrews 13 for the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, guess what? It's burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In other words, people were forgiven through an animal dying, and Jesus showed up as the beautiful and perfect and innocent lamb, and he laid his life down. You imagine the ruckus going outside of the temple, right, trying to get an animal, getting ready to kill it. 
die. You know what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't fighting his death. Jesus didn't run away from Calvary. Your Jesus had a mission. Your Jesus took a cross, and he began to walk every step with you in mind. And we come to the temple. We come to church today, and we think a building is going to forgive us. We think our church attendance is going to forgive us. We think our, our, our loudness and the message is going to do something. No, no, no. It's a relationship with Jesus when you understand that he loves you and he did something for you. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus is doing amazing things. He's walking around talking about your sins are forgiven. Imagine a Jew. What do you mean my sins are forgiven? That happens in the temple. What do you mean? What do you mean my sins are forgiven? He's like, no, 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 I am the new way. And I want to just focus on this act. When Jesus is madly in love with us, enough to walk in, this event of flipping tables led up to Jesus' death. Right? It started something. And, and everyone's like, man, this dude, he's crazy. He, he literally went over the top. He went to almost sacred place, and he did something just indescribable. Right? Here's the thing. My first point today is that Jesus is coming against something. Now, now how, does this, how does Jesus flipping tables relate to you? Because Jesus is walking into your heart every day, and he's seeing some things that he doesn't like. And you know what he's doing? He's pointing at your table. He's like, I'm about to come flip it. Jesus, Jesus is coming against something. And I know that, you know, Jesus being mad, right, Jesus being aggressive, that's kind of not what people preach nowadays. Jesus is graceful. Jesus is, ooh la la, you know. It's only French you ever get from me. Jesus is graceful. Jesus is this. Jesus is awesome. But, man, I'm grateful that, that Jesus actually comes against some things in my life. I am, I am excited that Jesus doesn't just give me grace, but it gives me truth. And, yes, he loves you. And, yes, you're saved. But God wants to do something bigger in your life. God wants to use you to affect other people. And, and God is, it, it, Jesus is coming against some stuff. And, 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 and the thing is, we, honestly, can we be real? We, we don't like the Jesus that's mad. We're not attracted to that Jesus. Right? If, 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 you're, if, you're, if you love me, then, then he wouldn't come again. Like, imagine that conversation, right? Jesus, if you love me, you wouldn't come against me. Jesus, if you love me, you would have rubbed some things in my heart and asked me to change because you accept me how I am. But if you love me, you wouldn't come against some things. You know how I rephrase that? Jesus, if you love me, you wouldn't challenge me to grow. Jesus, if you love me, you wouldn't actually show me what's wrong with me, show me what's, what, what I need to change, what I need to fix. If you love me, you wouldn't come against me. But that is not true. Because God loves you, he comes against some things. Because he loves you. Because he convicts you. That's conviction. Can I get stage hands? Marcus, come here. Awesome. He's, he's part of our stage hands team. He stays behind those curtains all service. Can you guys make some noise for him? Come on. While you're worshiping and getting your church on, right? You guys are in an awesome place. He's back there with planning center. Talking about what's coming up next. And he's here. Stand here. Face that way. Right? Uh, let, me give you, let me give you an image of what conviction is. Because when you understand that Jesus has come against something, you actually love him more. When you understand that Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't save you and walk away. He actually meets you where you're at but points you to another direction. 
And actually, sometimes we, we get scared of conviction. We're scared. We're scared. But here's the truth. Conviction is a revelation of the love of God. Conviction is I'm not going to just wipe you away because you're a sinner. I'm not going to just write you off. Because you're a sinner, because you have struggle, because you fail, I'm going to constantly tap you on the shoulder and say, no, that's not right. That's conviction. God tapping you and pointing you another way. Tapping you. Tapping you. Walk a little more forward so I can see my notes. This is, this is a Christian that, that doesn't want to give. He's tapping you. Every Sunday, when the buckets go around, we see it as a payment. We see it as, oh, my God, you're asking for my money. No, 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 we give because of what Jesus did for us. All we have is because of Jesus. Every good thing we own is because of Jesus. To the point where the Bible says, will a man rob God? And so we go years in church without giving. You know what the Holy Spirit does every week during offering? He's tapping you on the shoulder. That's called conviction. He's coming against something. He's ready to flip that table. And we push against conviction. No, no. We'll go to the bathroom, not offering. No. But, but, but he's tapping you. He's tapping you. Listen, you're walking this way. Yes, you're saved. But I'm calling you something more. Conviction is a reminder that God is still working in your life. Conviction is not a foe. Conviction is your friend. Conviction is for you. Conviction is there to walk with you every day. You might be here today and you're not saved. God is convicting you right now. You need to get saved. It's the biggest tap on the shoulder you ever had. Another thing, face forward. No, that, that went forward. He's tapping you, right? That's when you've accepted me, but you're, you're too focused on the money. Your life is revolved around money and it's not revolved around me. And moments where your money drops, moments where things happen, I'm going to allow them to happen to reveal your heart. What are you more after? Is it the money or is it me? And Jesus walks up to you and he taps you. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in the kingdom. Do this. Don't, don't focus on the money, Judas. Focus on me. You've accepted me. Watch this. But you don't talk to me. You don't talk about me to anyone you know. You're at the, you're at the, you're at the office. Just go crying. And the Holy Spirit's tapping you. Talk to them about me. You know I'm the only answer. They're running to drugs. They're running to sex. They're running to all these different things. I'm the only thing that can save anyone. Those are wells that they will keep running to. I'm the well. One sip of me, you'll never go thirsty again. He's tapping you. You've accepted me, but, but you're not a part of the church. You see, you just come to church. And there's, in the Western world, there's this big spirit of consumerism. Black Friday, right? Imagine people running to church like they do on Best Buy on Black Friday. Oh, my God! <laughs> I ran away. Oh, my God! Stay! This world is chasing after stuff. What can you give me? What can you give me? And we take the world's mentality and we bring it into church. What could you give me, Pastor? What could you give me, Jesus? What could you give me, Jesus? And then we read the Bible, and it taps us on the shoulder when Paul's like, I'm suffering for the name of Jesus. I can, I'm, I'm here to suffer. And, and it convicts us. And, 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 it's like, and it's like, you're in the church, but you're not a part of the church. You're not a part of the life of the church. I'm just going to take a quick moment to say this. Everything we do as a church is to grow you. You think we do hope groups for, for bigger numbers? We don't do that. We do that because we believe 
two more are gathered with the Bible and they're talking to each other, maybe they might actually grow. Maybe the Bible is true and iron actually sharpens iron. That's why we do hope groups every Wednesday. It's not to, to count you. It's, it's, it's so that you can grow, so you can get around some people, open the Bible, and say, wow, that sermon was awesome, but what do you have to say about Sunday? And what do I have to say about Sunday? And it is not that, that very moment in the comfort of somebody's home. Sometimes they have coffee. Our groups are awesome. They're, they're gathering, and they're talking, and they're growing, and they're, and they're conversing. That's the, that's the church of Acts. That's, that's the early church. That's what we're doing. But we fall into a pit when we think that our Christianity is around around 11, 15 a.m. for two hours. But really, we should be convicted to say, God, you want me to do something. You don't just want me to consume, but you want me to contribute. And he's tapping you on the shoulder. Sign up your kids today after church for summer camp. That was a little plug. You've, accept, you've accepted me, but you're still struggling with that. And, and, and thank you, Marky. And, and, and I should come back. Holy Spirit just told me something. You know what's the worst thing? You think conviction is wrong? You know what's the worst thing? When you stop feeling that tap. I'm hitting him hard. Holy Spirit used to convict you on something, you're over it. You're just taking it. It was worse than being convicted, not even feeling convicted. Walking in your sin and believing that Jesus wants you to struggle and be a Christian. He doesn't want that for you. Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings deliverance. Jesus convicts you because he loves you. Thank you. He convicts you because he loves you. And listen, if you want to grow, join our leadership team. We got a bunch of leaders that are ready to tell you what's wrong with you. Grace and truth, right? But can we keep it real? Some of us need that correction. And Jesus is coming against something. Number two, Jesus is shutting down religion. With the act that he's doing, flipping tables, and I got eight minutes, I'm going to run through this. He's shutting down religion. John 2 says this. I want to talk about John for a second because a lot of theologians, they debate over this. They say, okay, wait a minute. I think this whole flipping table thing, I think it happened twice. Right? A lot of theologians believe that this happens two times. Why? Because John writes chronologically up until chapter 2, right? And, and, and every other gospel is some, somewhat chronological order, right? Meaning it happened consecutively and sometimes they switch. But John, listen to me, John writes about this in the beginning of his gospel. And that comes against the timeline. Do you know why? Because right where he writes, you can take the verses off so no one's confused. Right, right when Jesus is about to to actually turn water into wine, right? He's about to do that. John writes it, and then immediately after, John writes about Jesus turning tables. Now, theologians look at this, and they say, okay, it, it, this water to wine, that's his first miracle, and, and, and flipping the tables happened a little later in his life. Why would John put them right next to each other? Why would he do that? And a lot of people believe because it happened twice. Jesus, in the beginning of his life, he did it in, in the beginning of his ministry, and he did it again at the end. I don't think that's true because if you walk into the temple, a sacred place, and you flip tables, I think you'll probably be banned from that temple. Oh, that's the dude, get him, get him. Right? I, I think John was actually trying to send us a message. John puts this temple happening right after water and the wine miracle. Can we read why? Let's go, throw it out. 
John 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. He's like, woman, why do you involve me? Now listen, young people, don't talk to your mom the way Jesus talked to his mom. Like you can take everything else from Jesus except for this. If you call your mom woman, I'll slap you for her. What would Jesus do except for that? That's the only time you don't do what Jesus did. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, right? This is important. Next verse, verse 6. Nearby, and John is, again, he's trying to connect these two stories. Because he writes in verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars. So Jesus turns water into wine, but there's six stone water jars. But look, let's keep reading. Water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So he's writing this, and he's like, well, put, put the detail. I'm, I'm going to put the detail in here that the six bowls that were turned from water to wine are like the six ceremonial bowls that Jews went into the temple and cleansed their hands with. The cleansing in the water in the water jar is a cleansing. And he writes in this miracle, hey, but wait, don't forget the point that there were six pots, just how they do in the temple. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from. So the servants who are drawn out the water knew. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Notice that the servants saw the miracle before the, before the king did. Before the, before, the, before, the, before the miracle came to pass, the people serving saw the miracle first. A lot of you guys are waiting on the, I want to say, the effects of miracles. A lot of you guys are waiting on, on uh, again, consumerism. But don't miss the point in here that the people serving the jars saw the miracle before the people did. And if you're serving at this church, we're praying that miracles flow through you first. Get connected to our church. The servants knew. Let's go to verse 9. The master of the banquet. Let's skip over to verse 10. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. So, so back then they gave, I mean they kind of do it now. They, they bring the best drinks out first and the terrible drinks out last so that you're so gone you don't know how those taste. So in the wedding, that's how they did it. They brought the best wine first and then the worst wine, la- the worst wine last. But in this scenario, they, they lost all the good wine. And then, and then there's a, a happening where Jesus says, hey, let me bring some new wine. Let me, bring, let me take those six pots and let me do something new. And so the, the man running the wedding is like, wait a minute, we usually save, you know, the best for the, for the beginning. But this wine is so good, I feel like we saved the best for last. What does this mean for you and me, the six pots? That resembles the temple. Three verses later, he begins to talk about Jesus flipping the tables. What are we trying to paint? What's the picture John is trying to say? What what John is trying to write and send to me and you is that Jesus took the old pots. He took the old system. He took the old religion. He took the old way of cleansing. And he says, listen, I came to do something better. I came to turn this water into wine. I came so that this new covenant 
Just how there was something before, Jesus comes with new wine. Just how everyone thought sacrificing an animal was it and buying the forgiveness was it, Jesus shows up with a better plan and Jesus saves the wine for last. Amen? Last point, Jesus isn't the Messiah we wanted, but he's the Messiah that we needed. The Jews didn't want Jesus to do that. They didn't want him to do that. The Jews didn't want Jesus to be born in a manger as a baby. What? How is our Messiah going to be an infant? That makes no sense. You know what they wanted? They wanted Jesus to come in a chariot from the clouds, come as a, as a, as a king with armor and a sword. And he's coming that way in the end, y'all, the book of Revelation. Come on, that's how he's going to show up the second time. But the first time, man, he comes in a different way. A lot of times I hear people say, oh, I want to be alive when Jesus was. No, you don't. <laughs> you got it good now. Because Jesus did everything the people didn't want him to do. Even his disciples. Jesus, build us a kingdom. Build us an army. Let's build something up so we can overthrow the Romans. Let's, let's take Caesar by the neck. Come on, let's do it, Jesus. Let's establish this kingdom. You know what Jesus told him? No, no, no. I'm establishing a kingdom unseen. I'm establishing something different. You want me to work that way? Bah, bah, bah. I'm not going to work that way. I'm working a different way. Jesus, can you, can, you, can you do this? Can you do that? Jesus, and so many times we want Jesus to work some way and we walk away because we, he didn't work how we wanted him to work. Maybe this is you today. That's not me. That's not me. I, I don't, go ahead, throw it up. I, that's not me. I, I don't want, I don't want, uh, I don't want a Jesus that, that, that kind of goes with what I'm saying. I want Jesus to, to kind of challenge me. Do you really, are you really saying that? Or, or do you really want a God that kind of wants to do what you want him to do? And, and, and I love how Jesus does something unprecedented. Jesus does something a little scary. And, and a lot of times we, we, we question God because he doesn't work the way we want him to. We question God because he doesn't work the way we want him to. He doesn't activate in the areas that we want him to activate in. How many times do we treat God like a fairly godparent taking our orders in heaven? And, 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 and thanks for saving me, Lord. Can I get 10 more tickets to heaven? Th thanks for saving me, Lord. Can I, can I just do whatever I want and just, and just be full of grace? And, and, and then we ask God the question, why aren't you working in the way I want you to work? Some of you guys came to, came to Jesus and you still had the same issues that you had before you met Jesus. And you're asking yourself, if I crossed over to the good side, why, why is death still happening in my family? Why, why is there still struggle? Why is there still pain? Why is there, why is there so much just things that just don't look good. Like, I thought when I went to Jesus, I thought I'd win the lottery. I thought I had the nice house. I thought I had the nice car and the calm kids. I thought I'd have all these things. But things aren't happening. I'm praying for them to happen. I believe for them to happen. But they're not happening the way I want them to. And I'm so grateful that Jesus isn't what we want him to be. Jesus is who we need him to be. So that in moments that you're waiting for a prayer, you can still fill out your purpose. For the moment that you're waiting for healing, you can still walk and be encouraged. Because if there's one thing that you need the most, it's not healing of the legs, but healing of the heart. And it's you being right in the sight of God. If Jesus, all he did was save you, if all he did was rose on the third day for you, you have every reason and every excuse to wake up every morning, although you're broken or maybe broke or maybe struggling or maybe in pain, you have every right to stand up every morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me for giving me salvation. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I'm so thankful that Jesus is the guy that we, not that we want him to be, but the guy that we need him to be. And here's the truth. Jesus is saying, see, when, when, when Jesus is, 
when Jesus is who we want him to be, I think that cheats the relationship with God. It cheats it. It's easy to serve a God that just gives you everything you want. It's tough to serve a God when, when, when you got to wait on his timing. you got to trust on him. And I feel like Jesus is saying this morning, do you love me and do you serve me because of what, what I can give to you or because of who I am? Do you love me? Do you serve me? Do you come to church so that you, for, so based off what can I can give you or do you do all those things because you love me? Do you give your money to me because you feel a certain type of way, oh my God, this is just happening, this is asking me, or, or are you doing it? God says he blesses the cheerful giver. I'm not giving to this, this wild thing that I'm unseen. I'm giving to Jesus. Are, are you serving? Are you serving in the church? Are you serving for, for positions? Are you serving for the highlight, for the spotlight? Are you serving for any other thing? You're supposed to serve because you love me. Are you coming to church when you feel like it? Are you coming to church because it's a good Sunday? It's a, is it raining? Are you going to stay home? What are you going to do? Because I'm here waiting for you, and I'm just going to see if you're going to make an act of love. We could think that the, the, the ordinances of the church, the regular things we do as a church, we can get so religious. Remember, we do all those things because we love Jesus. We worship because we love Jesus. We come to church because we love Jesus. We gather on Wednesdays because we gather with the other people who love Jesus. We give and we start, we start businesses. We, we activate the purpose. There's next steps at our church. We join next steps because we love Jesus. And he's madly in love with you. Jesus walks into the temple. He sacrifices. They got to go. I'm going to sacrifice myself. This whole presence of God thing in the temple, when I die, there's going to be a veil, and it's going to tear right down the middle, and all who want the presence, you just got to come through me. Jesus makes it so simple. It's only me. It's all me. That's all it will ever be. And Jesus is asking you today, I am madly in love with you. I'm madly in love with you. I love you so much. I don't just give you grace and let you run like a wild chicken, but I give you grace and I give you truth to walk you on the path that I've guided you on. I'm madly in love with you. Prayer is awesome when you love Jesus. Worship is awesome when you love Jesus. This is how Jesus, this is how madly Jesus is in love with you. Luke 23, one of the criminals hanging alongside Jesus. We're at Calvary. Jesus probably the middle cross with two thugs and thieves on the side of him. One of the criminals hanging alongside him. I'm going to say you're to the right, right? So, like, so, so Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. So Messiah you are. We're all up here on these crosses at Calvary and just going to let us hang here. Save me. Save yourself. I love what the next guy said. The other one said, the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did not deserve this. Then Jesus was moved. Imagine Jesus on the cross hearing these two men. Listen, there's only two types of Christian. The one that's saying, save me. Save yourself. And then there's another one that says, I'm here and I deserve this, but he doesn't. 
I was supposed to die. I was supposed to hang on my own cross. And look what Jesus says to the man that gets it. He gets it. He loves Jesus. And he gets it. He says, listen, remember me. When you enter your kingdom, Jesus says, listen, don't worry. I will today. You will join me in paradise. There was no altar call. There was no moment of, of, of just like, hey, no, no, no. It was like, I, you, I see your heart, man. I see your heart. You actually love me. Love me enough to see where I'm at and understand that I didn't deserve this, but I did it for you. And now you get to live an eternity with me in heaven, slipping, sliding on streets of gold. It's all about love. I hate seeing grumpy Christians. Like, you don't get it. Jesus loves you, and he loves other people. Get over yourself. Like, you love Jesus enough, you, you kind of, it rubs off the love he has for other people. And you start loving more people. This whole thing is about how Jesus is madly in love. Jesus saying, I don't deserve this. You do. And because you recognize me as Lord and understand that my death wasn't for me, but for you, don't worry. Today you will join me in paradise. No temple, no animals, no veil. Right there in that moment, a thief on his on death row understood what Jesus did for him and died that day but woke up in another lifetime woke up in the heavens of heavens woke up with Jesus one thing I pray church is that we get it Jesus killed religion there's nothing you can do for me to love you message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.